Hello and welcome to the Civil Disobedience Podcast. I'm the host, Casey Parker. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about that idea, the idea of mass conformity and, and people giving in to group pressure and things like that. And, and while I was looking at things to, to kind of talk about, a couple things stood out to me. And it was the ash experiment and the the story of the emperor that ha- that needed new clothes. The emperor had new clothes, and so if you're unfamiliar with the the story of the emperor needing new clothes, just a, a brief recap is that there was an emperor that needed some new clothes, and so he hired the what he was told the best tailors were around, and the tailors come and convinced him that they had the most beautiful robes and and clothing available and so they they get it out they they give it to him and he's he's naked he's in his underwear birthday suit walking around but they these tailors were able to convince him that he was not naked and that he was wearing some of the best robes and clothes out there that money could buy and so the emperor buys it and starts walking around the village and all the villagers just kind of looking at him like what the heck's going on but they don't are are unwilling to say something to him because he's that authority figure he's the emperor and so they just kind of go along with that the narrative that the emperor just got some awesome new clothes and so they keep telling him how great his new clothes are and everything like that pumping that ego and then one day uh, he's walking around the village and a little kid sees him is confused at how everybody is telling the emperor how great his clothes are and so the kid says, like, yeah, he's he's naked, you know. And at that point, it kind of breaks the ice, if you will. And so then everybody kind of starts to laugh. And and at that point, the emperor realizes that he's been swindled and, and life goes on. And so, I mean, well, in the story, life goes on. In real life, the emperor would probably just start killing people because tyrants are, you know, tyrants. And that's what they do. But it's easy for us to look at that story and say how stupid how stupid everybody is how could anybody just completely deny the fact of the matter that the emperor was walking around naked and just tell everybody that now he's wearing clothes and they're just the greatest clothes of all time and that's also kind of where the ash experiment comes in because it it's a real life example more or less of what that story is and so if you've never heard of the ash experiment it's a an experiment that it's a social experiment that was done in the 1950s and had the majority of the group participating knew what was expected of them that they were supposed to be giving the wrong answer to the the questions that they were given to see if by the majority of the group giving the wrong answer if the sole minority would go along with the group or if that sole minority would stand up and give contrary information. And so what Dr. Ash did was he got everyone in into the same room and like I said, the majority of the participants knew what was going on, knew that they were supposed to give false information, wrong, intentionally misleading information to see if they could sway the other participant that did not know what was going on. So Dr. Ash puts a picture up of vertical lines and on the left side 
there was one vertical line that you were supposed to match the height of with lines that were on the right side of the picture. And so the lines on the right side of the picture were varying heights. One of them did match the li vertical line on the left. And so they start going through and the partip participants for the first few rounds, they give the correct answer. And then after a few rounds, they start to give the incorrect answer and start saying that one of the lines on the right, which clearly does not match the line on the left is the correct answer even though it's blatantly obvious because it's right there on you know projected on the wall everybody can see it but they're intentionally giving that wrong answer and what dr ash was able to find is that the majority of the time people are going to conform to that group pressure even though they can see that it's false they they can see with their eyes the facts the information it's right there clear as day in front of them they conform to that group pressure and knowingly give a wrong answer because they don't want to ruffle feathers they they start to doubt themselves well maybe the rest of the people in the group know know something i don't know how and you know they start doubting their own eyes if, if you will and and give that that wrong information and so i thought it was pretty interesting because you know that we have that the story or the parable of the emperor that has new clothes but then the ash experiment is kind of confirmation of that and is a real life example in a social experiment of how willing people are to do things like that at times and that's not to say everybody is going to do that or everybody every single time is going to do that or you know 60% of the time it works every time kind of a thing but <clears throat> but then I started to ask you know okay so so we see that people do that we see that people are willing to ignore the facts and go along with group pre the group pressure but why why are they willing to do that? What what makes them what makes them willfully ignore those facts to go along with the crowd? And so as I was thinking about that and everything, I was looking actually listened to a podcast, uh, one of Joe Rogan's podcasts with Dr. McCulloch and that's where the the theory of mass formation psychosis came from. Um, well, not not from that uh, doctor, but he, he mentioned it. And so I started looking into it because it looked like that's what was going to answer the ash experiment. And in, in my opinion, from what I can see and what I, I studied, it it is. It is it, it's what answers that ash experiment. And I'm sure there's more more information out there, people way smarter than me that, I, that have studied it a lot longer. But it was fascinating to me because what they did was they broke it down into four steps of what four steps that need to be present for their in order to have a mass formation psychosis is, you know, fancy word what they call it. And so step one is that there has to be a lot of socially isolated people. Step two, there has to be a lot of or sorry, a lack of sense making in life. Step three, a lot of free-floating psychological discontent. And step four, 
a lot of free-floating anxiety. And so with step one, the, the isolation, the social, isolating people socially, that creates a lack of connection to others and that severs or weakens the social bond between people, damages, hurts relationships or weakens the relationships that people have with each other. And so the, the idea of that is that people lose that connection, that connection to other people, and which goes into a bit of a, a lack of sense making in life, how, how there can be some mass confusion and that makes it difficult to understand the truth at times and can lead to a lack of purpose. So if there's not a lot of sense or there's there's conflicting information and things like that, it's hard to to weigh out the the facts sometimes and like I said can lead to a lack of purpose. And this could be, you know, the government saying whose jobs are essential and not essential, for example. And so then that can also lead into some of that free-floating psychological discontent or what, what I interpreted as kind of a men mental illnesses like depression and things like that. And a lot of that, men that mental illness or depression can come from step four, which um, they mentioned as the most important step. And so it's that free-floating anxiety. And I... And again, a lot of this is kind of my interpretation and, and stuff like that as well. But I think a lot of that free-floating anxiety comes out of fear. And so that fear, fear of the unknown and fear creates that anxiety and creates that anxiety within people. And the anxiety isn't necessarily connected to anything tangible, but it's it's a fear or an anxiety in the mind. And that fear you know, it multiplies and it festers and things like that because that's what seems to happen in a, an idle mind a lot of times is that it just, it just creates this huge boogeyman, if you will, or, or goblin monster thing that just turns into a huge monster. And in reality, the, the goblin, the, the, the monster isn't nearly as big as what we think it is or what our fear or anxiety makes it out to be and so with that fear authority figures experts media whoever it be can begin to play and expand on that fear that you already have and then attach and then attach that fear to something specific so you're afraid of a because of B and so once that fear and anxiety has a you know kind of a tangible host those who have been most affected by that fear they're going to look to the experts and the authority figures out there for any kind of a solution to combat and just destroy the boogeyman they're they're willing to just do whatever it takes to eliminate that fear to eliminate that anxiety they need to get rid of that goblin at any and whatever cost and that becomes their new mission which kind of goes back into some of those other steps where their new mission gives them a, a sense of purpose. And, and so that new mission is to fight and go after the boogeyman and create 
and by doing that, that will help create a social bond with others who are like-minded, others who are paralyzed by that fear. And so these things, like I was saying, create that sense of purpose and social bond because now they have a, pur a purpose of, we gotta fight this boogeyman and the social bond because now they feel justified in their fear. They feel justified in their anxiety and they, they feel comfortable with those authority figures because now, now that they're going along with the, the narrative and they're going along with those authority figures, it's almost as if they've received some pseudo authority from those experts to go after and fight that boogeyman. And so that starts to create a mob-like mentality where they're so blinded by their fear of the boogeyman that it leads to what they what's part of the the mass formation psychosis is a is an intoxication or a literal type of hypnosis where they're so focused on this one thing that they have tunnel vision and the facts don't matter logic doesn't matter and the only thing that the group sees is the narrative that the experts and authority figures are putting out because now those authority figures are a savior of a sense and they're the ones who are now giving out the information of this is what you need to do to rid yourself of this fear of this anxiety if you do these things you're going to be able to get rid of that boogeyman and so because of that tunnel vision their sole focus is on that bo boogeyman and it doesn't matter what the secondary or tertiary effects are of fighting that boogeyman, of what those those effects are from the experts and those in authority and how they fight that boogeyman. Obviously, there's some crossover here with uh, COVID and even uh, Professor Matthias Desma, he, one of the videos I watched on this, he talks about that specifically with this mass formation psychosis and how everybody is, like it's not everybody, but, uh, but a lot of people are falling into this intoxication and hypnosis throughout COVID and those authority figures in media are telling them what to do and how to attack the COVID boogeyman and everything like that. But by doing that, they're so focused on the COVID boogeyman that the secondary and tertiary order of effects that people's jobs are lost. The economy's in the tank. People are losing their jobs because of vaccine mandates. They're losing their jobs because they're not deemed a, a mandatory service by the government or whatever it be they're losing their jobs because some authority figure says so but they're so focused on the boogeyman that those those other issues aren't issues because it's kind of a a willing sacrifice it has to happen and we have to we have to break a few eggs to make an omelet that kind of a mentality to fight the boogeyman which is just insane but the that professor desma i thought it was pretty interesting what he he was able to find and discover with this is that breaking down the population he says about 30 percent of the population will fully comply and be like part of that hypnotic 
intoxicated group where they're just 100% bought in, invested in the narrative, and will do whatever it takes to fight that boogeyman, whatever it be, whether it it be COVID or whether it be an authoritarian regime, whether it be whatever, like, for example, World War II, the Germans, they were the Jews at that point, they were the boogeyman. And so whatever steps were taken to rid themselves of that boogeyman, it was okay because that threat was there. And so when they pushed the the Jews out out of society or when they made the Jews wear the star or they put them in ghettos and then they moved them on trains to concentration camps, all these things, it was, hey, the authority figures are getting rid of the boogeyman and they're getting rid of the problem, which is crazy. And so there's, they're looking at this and knowing about the, the mass formation psychosis. There's tons of events in history that you can look to and see how people went along. And it's just a step-by-step process. But going back to uh, his estimation of population uh, or estimates of population, he said that 35 to 40% of the population are not going to speak out in public because they're scared of the consequences. They're, they're, they're paralyzed by fear, and some of it could be like they're, they're scared of it as well, but maybe not to the hypnotic level as that first group. Or it's that they see what's going on, they know it's crazy, they know the emperor has no clothes, but they don't want to be the one to say anything. They don't want to be the one to stand up because what if something bad happens what if something crazy happens to me i can't i can't stand up because i i can't handle that or or whatever it be and so he said estimates that 30 to 40 percent of the people of population won't won't stand up because they're scared of the consequences and then which which leaves about 25 to 30 percent of the population that just won't comply bucks the narrative speaks out against it and starts poking holes in the narrative using facts, logics, and continually standing up fighting the narrative. And not necessarily that they're doing it in a, and some of them probably would be, but not in a crazy, in-your-face kind of a way, but they're, this group of people is generally a very reasonable group of people that are approachable, that you can have conversations and discussions with, and they're willing to go out there and and talk to whoever, which is kind of interesting because it kind of ties into a, another thing that I was thinking about, about having strange bedfellows and that sometimes there's going to be people even with, uh, with the COVID vaccine mandates or whatever that's going on is that there's going to be people that normally you probably wouldn't agree with on anything, but now they're, they're starting to realize things aren't There's something strange afoot at the Circle K, you know? And so they're starting to look at things, and now someone that you would not have agreed with at all a year or two ago, now you're on the same side fighting the the same fight because of a conversion to facts and logic and, and principled ideologies and things like that. And so being 
in that group, if we're in that group, we should be open to the idea of strange bedfellows and not just say, nope, screw, screw that guy. I know, I know how he voted. I know he voted for whoever, whoever the, your other team is or whatever ridiculous nonsense that is. So rather than fall into that, be open to that idea because that 25 to 30%, that's the minority. And as many people as you can come to strengthen that and boost those numbers up, that's what you want to do. And so this group, they're going to be speaking up. They're going to be defending what they believe in. They, they stand on principles. Yeah, they might have some dif different opinions on certain things, but their principles are probably going to align more often than not. And so aside from fighting that narrative with facts and logic, Professor Desmond says that one of the better ways to fight that logic, or sorry, fight that narrative is through humor. And I've kind of got a dark sense of humor <laughs> as it is, but fighting that, that narrative with humor makes sense to me because even though it's kind of a dark, a dark topic or it can be a dark topic, whether it's COVID or whether it's whatever, whatever else that's happened through history or probably whatever else is going to happen in the future because it uh, seems like we're on a wrong path. But being able to fight that with facts, logic, and humor, I think is going to be a super, super good tool and help open doors to people that probably wouldn't have seen those doors and when he started talking about the humor factor it kind of made me think of all these uh meme makers that are on the front lines of the the culture war if you will and using memes as an as a humor tool but also as an education tool and things like that but anyway so um these experts and these authoritarian figures one of the things that i thought was interesting is that you've got 30% of the population that's just so fully invested in this, they're giving those experts and authority, authoritarians power from sovereignty. So those authoritarians are only going to get power from the sovereignty that the populace gives them. And so the more that we ignore them as a populace and the more sovereignty personal sovereignty that we maintain and that we keep the less power they have and so by doing that and by being willing to just say no and to disobey nonsensical things and to just stand up and say no i'm not going to comply i'm not going to do this we're taking our sovereignty back and we are limiting their power, their authority, their sovereignty, because we're keeping ours. And so the main thing to remember is that that 20, 25 to 30% of the population that won't comply should always be in the fight. That she, they should be the ones constantly poking holes in the narrative, constantly out there pointing out how ridiculous things are, like how ridiculous the emperor looks, he has no clothes on. Everybody can see it. Don't act like you can't see it because you're just lying. And so that 25 to 30% just constantly needs to be putting it in the work and putting in the fight because eventually there's going to be a lot more 
people filling in those ranks, filling in that group. And people are going to be, people that were on the sidelines are now going to be making their way onto the field. They're going to be making their way into that fight because maybe they, they reached a point where it affected them so much that they didn't have a choice, that they had to come in, that they had to stand up. And it could be something with like all the parents that stood up here in the U.S. a little bit ago with the school boards and everything that was going on there or vaccine mandates for little kids to go to school or things like that where, hey, this might be a, a red line for some of these parents to, to cross. And so they're going to bring, come, be coming over and then that's where we, we should be ready and willing to say hey welcome to the ranks and be be those strange bedfellows have the, have those strange bedfellows and create and cultivate those relationships with people that yeah maybe we don't see eye to eye on everything but we can see eye to eye on a lot of things and so because of all all of this it kind of also made me made me think of um, one of the sayings that I said in some of the first episodes that I, I had recorded but it's dare to be different dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, and dare to make it known. And so if, if we can do that and get together, we can regain some of our sovereignty. And I'd like to, you know, if you, if you got something from, from this episode, I just ask that you share it with a friend, family member, anything like that. Share it with somebody that you think might find it interesting. And Follow me on my Instagram page. There's a couple right now because one of my one of them got a pretty big shadow ban after I suggested people listen to that Joe Rogan podcast with uh, Dr. McCullough. But anyway, so that on uh, Instagram it's uh, at Civil Disobedience Podcast. Like I said, there's a couple of them. Uh, the pictures white with white background with disobey on it. But anyway, thanks for listening and. We'll see you on the next episode.